The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the oceans and lakes of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and still to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy whose waves are nothing short of a tsunami, Josh. How are you doing this evening? <laughs> well, it's, it's this is a apt... <laughs> description as it's been turbulent <laughs> you know i when i wrote this intro i was thinking about it and i said you know the chances are that between the time we record and the time this podcast releases with everything else going on in the world there's probably going to be a tsunami that happens and then we're going to sound like huge jerks well don't worry it'll happen the day before this is released but we already recorded it yeah right yeah so yeah i mean i wouldn't be surprised yeah uh <laughs> Things have been better, but we talked about it before. I had a little therapy session with Kyle, and now I can be happy. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad that it helped. It's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Josh, you know, we obviously are uh, a podcast that focuses on games, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we have Bored With Everything, where we talk about a lot of those extraneous topics. But do you have any thoughts, comments, anything you want to say about all the stuff going on in the United oh. States right now? Well, I have a lot of thoughts for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily, um, I don't know. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to talk about because it, I'm just a white dude who isn't necessarily suffering what people are suffering. Um, but this is something that I've always um, felt strongly about in that in that um, uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like a, a long time ago, I was on that side where I wasn't understanding the conflicts and the issues. And I was one of those people who were like, why isn't it all lives matter? Like that was who I used to be right? Um, until I was kind of educated on what's going on and why this is happening. And I think it's becoming more and more clear to me how misguided I was when I was thinking that because obviously all lives matter. That's not what this is about though. It's real easy to make for me, even for me, since I'm so empathetic, um, it's easy to try to make things about me so I can see that side. But this is just something that's going on that I can't um, see that side of, but it does make it real easy now with social media to see certain sides of things. Right. And um, there's a lot of stuff going on that is being recorded that we just can't ignore mm-hmm. and look away from. Uh, so, yeah, um, I really hope that this ends um, quickly. I hope a lot of investigations happen from what we've been seeing online, if you have um, been watching online i don't know how you can kind of avoid it at this point right 
Uh, but I feel terrible and uh, anxious and um, and sad for for African Americans and for good cops and for the country. And I feel sad that uh, it's all being politicized as well while this is all happening. And I also hate that there's people out there <laughs> potentially infecting thousands of people with COVID-19. Right. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of people tweeting about like, oh yeah, uh, we're, we're like, even Massachusetts people are attacking the governor. Like, oh, you just look at all these people in Boston protesting and none of them are wearing masks, but you don't let me leave my house without a mask and gloves on. And then everyone's like, well, wait two weeks and let's see what those numbers are. <laughs> and that's yeah. exactly where my mindset is. Um, I really hope that a lot of people who are trying to be, Peaceful protesters aren't also getting sick. Um, I know a lot of people are wearing masks, but mm-hmm. um, there's also a lot of people not wearing masks. Not to make this about COVID-19, but it is also very important and part of this, whether we like it or not. Um, so I know this isn't a political platform. We're not one, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, Black Lives Matter, and it's important for us to recognize that as people with white privilege and that's not necessarily a bad thing it's just something that we have that we cannot get rid of correct and that's yeah that's a simple way to put it and you know there are will likely lose people listeners and other people who say hey you should just stick to games and i get that i understand yeah. that there are times in your life where you come to a podcast like this and your your goal is just to escape everything else going on in the world I get that, and I promise you, 95% of this show, 98% of this show is going to be <laughs> us talking about games, Yeah, because we are privileged to be able to do that, but I think it's just like when folks say, don't put politics in games, don't put, you know, don't let those things impact my entertainment, I'm a real person who's impacted by the things I see going on, on around me, and it's impossible for me not to be impacted by those things and have yeah. those cloud the commentary I'm about to have and the conversation Josh and I are about to have um, and the conversations we have with you on social media, I can't just shut off being a person. It's not yeah. a thing I can do. And if you can do that, I guess maybe great. I, I don't know that that would be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is scary. And I'm a, some, a, somebody who's originally from Minnesota. I grew up in a suburb of the Twin Cities. So seeing what's happening there for me are all places I've been in, all places that I can relate to and have, have experienced. And it's not as simple. It's never as simple as, you know, don't loot, don't riot, don't do those things. Like, I, I, I understand the perspective of, yeah, those things are bad. I'm not saying those things are good and should happen. But, and I'm not going to go on about this, but just suffice to say, like Josh said, black lives matter. And that doesn't mean that all lives don't matter. But there's clearly something broken in the system currently and something that has needed to be fixed for a very, very long time. Uh, and... I just encourage you to open your ears, open your mind, and open your heart. There's a ton, ton of great resources that are available online right now that you can go read, listen, and really seek to understand what exactly is going on and why potentially people might be reacting in the way that they are, um, both from a systematic perspective, but also from if you want to get super conspiracy theory about it, like everything else that might be going around and is being pushed potentially with every all the protests and everything that's happening in the world so with that being said take care of you and yours be (laughs) safe you know we hope that everything else in your life is going peachy keen as best as it can we we hope that this podcast finds you uh in in a good state and well 
Uh, and with that, I think we're going to move on to talk about some games. Does that sound like a plan, Josh? I think before we lose all of our listeners. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I know we have great listeners. Uh, Belize, we love you. Stick with us. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, if you want to have thoughtful, deepful, respectful conversations about these things, we would love to do that. That We're not people who only play games. We care about a lot of things. So we would love I can't. We do. So with that, you know. We're going to skip housekeeping. You know all the stuff. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. You know where to find us on Twitter and Instagram and Patreon and all that good stuff. So we're just going to jump into the topics of the show and kind of get rolling from there. Josh, what is your first topic this week? Well, uh, I just kind of wanted to talk about some games I've been playing. Um, Believe it or not, leading up to this weekend, I was able to play some games. And then this weekend happened. I went to bed at 8 o'clock last night because I was so tired. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, the big ones, I'm just going to talk about new games. I mean, I'm still chipping away. Um, oh, I do want to say Animal Crossing, I'm still playing it, and there's a problem with Animal Crossing. Just you, one? You can never, I'm experiencing it now, you can, you're never satisfied once you unlock that um terrain builder and you basically terraform your island however you want right to an extent you're never satisfied i was just comfortable at my four star island trying to you know five stars is at the top right and i'm i'm you know i'm comfortable and i'm like just walking around i'm like you know what i could probably redesign this whole section of my island so what does that entail so i have to level Whatever I want, I have to level whole parts of it. I have to move residents, but to move a resident, you have to wait a whole day for that to actually happen, and you can only move one person at a time. So I'm in like a like I'm not even halfway through this move that I started three days ago. <laughs> there was a story on I can't remember if it was Polygon or I don't remember what website, but it was talking about someone who had spent two hundred plus hours in. Animal Crossing and was trying to terraform a part of their island and just couldn't get it the way they wanted to. So they just quit and started over. Picked a new island to start. Yeah. Yeah. They just completely started over after like 200 uh, hours. I get that. I'm at like 130 hours right now. I can't believe I've played this game for that long. Dang. That's a lot. Yeah. I don't think I've played my Switch for 130 hours since I've owned it. I played it every day since the game launched without missing a day. Wow. If for at least two hours a day, at least. So Animal Crossing is your game of the year, is what you're saying. Uh, it could be up there. It's not my I don't, no. I don't. I don't know. I shouldn't say anything because who knows? Tomorrow's a whole new season starts, so it's going to be more to do. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so okay. So I'm still chipping away at Animal Crossing. Um, I don't know if I told you I did get Hand of Fate two on the Switch because um, Hand of Fate I was such a big fan of. Um, First game was great. Uh, uh, it's more of the same, uh, which is a good thing. It's definitely mm-hmm. upgraded. The combat's a little bit better. Um, if people don't know what it is, it's essentially you're telling this, I'll call it a third person action story, but it's less, it's not so much action. You're uh, sitting at a table with like a fortune teller type narrator and they're flipping fate cards over and you're trying to, uh, in the first one at least, you're trying to defeat, um, face cards in a deck and there's mm-hmm. like the king of skulls and the queen of whatever's um but you you go out through a path 
which is kind of like a choose your own adventure. Um, and each card has different effects, some positive, some negative. Uh, some are stories where you have um, higher percentages of passing and, lo- and lower, but they always show you like, hey, you have to choose from five cards. I'm going to shuffle them. But three of them are fail cards. One of them is an epic fail and one is a pass. So like you're probably going to fail this one. Right. Um but it's interesting, and then if you have combat, it throws you into a third-person fable-esque combat situation where you can use your power-ups if you have any in weapons, uh, which you get throughout the story. Uh, very cool game. I would encourage you checking out uh, the game, at least the first one if you haven't played it. Um, but I believe Hand of Fate 2 is on sale on, I think, every platform right now uh, for like 11 bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I delved into the dungeons of Minecraft, the Minecraft dungeons. Uh, it's okay. I mean, it's kids Diablo, if I can right. put it that way. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I've heard people calling it. It's it's pretty easy. Uh, I think I, I think I mentioned in Discord. I probably have to change difficulty up um, mm-hmm. because essentially what it has just become is. Uh, walking through a map, killing things, and not, I don't know that I'm necessarily feeling any sense of accomplishment. It's just kind of a senseless, not senseless, it's just kind of a beat em up. Um, they talk about it on PSVG Prime, I believe, where it's mostly not a lot of story, at least not a lot of story that I understand, not having played Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun to say, I'll say it's fun. Um, it reminds me of like when I used to play, well, it's like playing Diablo, but at this point I'm like, I'd rather just play Diablo. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious if I change the difficulty, if I'll enjoy it more or less. Um, but I heard it's short, so I kind of just want to, I want to play co-op at some point because I feel like I might enjoy it more playing cooperatively. Are you playing, sorry if you said this, are you playing on Xbox or PC? I have it on both, but I've, I started playing it on the uh, Xbox. Okay, because I, I, I am interested in playing this. Now, correct me, when you start, though, you don't pick a class, right? You just... You just pick a guy. Guy, and yeah. then everything is based off of the weapons and how you enchant them and all that good stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, and like you, you start with a bow and a sword, but um, uh, you can get crossbows, which take longer to load, so you're not doing rapid fire like a bow, so it's a mm-hmm. little... You know, they just how like the damages and stuff uh, work, but yeah. Um, and then you can kind of, at least so you can, there's definitely like buffs and stuff on your weapons and gear that you get. Right. Um, but there's not a lot of choice. You have a sword, um, a bow and arrow or crossbow or whatever. And then you have an armor set. Okay. And then on the, and that's it for armor, like for weapons and stuff. And on the bottom you have three windows for like power ups, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like um, one is like turn arrows into a firework. So it's basically like the skill tree in Diablo. Gotcha. Um, but you don't have... It's not like a ton of ton of choice. Okay. Um, but yeah, I like to play co-op and see how that is. I know people have been enjoying it co-op as well. Uh, and lastly, I started and finished Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath. Now, Josh, before you go into your review... Yeah. Do they answer the most important question of the game? No. What? No, oh, they don't. On, Sorry. <laughs> I am uh, disappointed. I will say, without... this. 
minor spoiler there is no anchor shown in this game <laughs> uh, so it's not maybe they took them out for you <laughs> maybe they did maybe they did <laughs> um so motor combat 11 literally picks up uh well not literally it picks up at the end pretty pretty much at the end of well motor combat 11 sorry aftermath picks up at the end um i will if you've played Mortal Kombat 11 and enjoyed it, I, I really won't talk about the story um, because uh, I really think it's something that you should experience. Uh, I will say uh, if you've seen the characters that are that come with the game, it won't be a surprise to you who you play. Right. Um, you play as Nightwolf, um, Fujin, who is Raiden's brother. He's the wind god. Wind? Yeah. Uh, you also play as Shiva, who is a Goro raced character. I don't know their race. Uh, the four arms. Um, you play as. Oh, oh, why am I forgetting already? Uh, Mali- uh, Kat- Katana's mother. Oh, why am I forgetting her name already? Um, Sindel. Sorry, the okay. screaming one. Um, and then you play. As Shang Tsung, as well as a couple characters I won't mention because it could be potentially spoilers. Uh, I think they did a they did a couple cool new things in some fights. In a couple fights, there's a couple there's something that you I don't think have seen before um, in the Mortal Kombat 11 game. Uh, there is a pretty it's a it's a pretty interesting way that you experience the story. Um, and they, they, I wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of wrote this as they were writing the first one. It, it picks, it follows the beats. It's such an excellent story. Still, they really make it feel like a continuation and not a thrown together DLC. Okay. Um, things you do, I, I know you feel like there's weight behind it, but you, you know, but you kind of know you're just progressing the story. Um, they do offer kind of like in the first part of the game where you there are certain um story elements where you get to choose which fighter you will proceed as in that fight which um I did go back and complete all the ones that I didn't do the first playthrough um yeah it's pretty great I didn't I, I didn't go through and do any friendships yet or stage fatalities but those are in the game I did go through and do the rest of my tutorials with every every character now so i've done the tutorial for every character um robocop is pretty cool as well he's included in this but he's not in the story but something i did want to make note of um every character featured in the story has speaking lines except for one character can you guess who who that is every oh uh mm, the person who's voiced by ronda rousey yeah yeah, Sonya Blade does not Thank have any lines her. except for uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm like they had they had every actor come back and voice their character, and <laughs> Ronda Rousey did not return. They didn't even use like old clips of her voice. There was just no speaking for Sonya. Period. Her daughter, her husband, <laughs> everyone else that shows up in the game speaks not Sonya. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. That is interesting. Since we kind of brought to attention how terrible her voice acting was in the first half. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a must play 
for fans of Mortal Kombat 11 story. Um, and I'd say just for like, if you just want the characters, maybe 40 bucks is a bit steep um, mm-hmm. for, you know, these three new characters, four new characters. But uh, overall, I'm extremely happy with it. Just adds so much more to a game that I already love. So uh, yeah, uh, super fun and challenging and very well done story. So, and I found myself surprised a few times while playing, which is always nice. So very yeah, cool. That is what I've been playing. I think that I can remember for the most part. Although I guess I'll air a grievance. Oh boy! I got into the role for the Galaxy Beta. Yes. On my phone, but you had to buy it, so you had to pay ten dollars to get into the beta. Excellent. But then you get to keep the game when it's re- fully released. There's no tutorial in a $10 beta app. Interesting. I am very upset. <laughs> very interesting. There's just the pretty much you can you I know how hard it is to read basically just a rule book from a board game on your phone. Oh, it's very challenging. It's not not yeah. So um I don't know how I feel about it. I'm pretty sure on Google I can request a refund. <laughs> so I might just ask for my money back. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, I just want to say real briefly, and I don't know how this will progress, but Josh, I started my first ever MMO this last week. I know you talked about this last week. I'm curious how your your attempt at playing Final Fantasy 14 went. Uh, I am level five. So okay, so not, very, not much has not, happened. Not, not much has <laughs> happened. Here's what I will say. So far, there's an odd intrigue to it for me. I, I want to keep playing and doing things. I don't really know why I want to help these people <laughs> on these quests, but I have a desire to. Not the person <laughs> character of the game, but me personally. I, yeah. I want to help these people. Number two, playing an MMO on a console is very challenging. Because number one, I've never played an MMO before. But number two, Josh, there's a lot of stuff on the screen. You need and those a lot of words. <laughs> and yeah. So even things like the map are very challenging to navigate for me. Yeah. I like will hit circle and circle and circle because I'm trying to like back out of things, and that's typically how you do it on a PlayStation. And I have no idea what menus I'm in or how I got to them or how I get out of them. I feel real, real dumb playing this. I'm sure it's very simple and very straightforward to anyone who's played an MMO before. Uh, but for I me, know. I feel like a complete idiot. I think so, you're being hard on yourself. I think that those games are not easily navigable on consoles because they're not designed for consoles. Yeah, so I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep chipping away. But first impressions are I have a lot to learn. That is yeah. my first impression, so... All right, Josh. My first topic, and I mentioned to you on the pre-show, our listeners didn't hear it. I'm going to throw you a whole bunch of curveballs during this episode, but I'm going to stick with this topic, but I I might bring up a little part B to it at the end, depending (laughs) on how quickly we go through this. So board game, the next five. What are the next five games you would recommend to someone to look at who's looking at getting into the hobby to pick up? And specifically for the next five, what I'm saying is this person already owns Pandemic, Ticket to Ride, Catan, Carcassonne and code names. I felt like that was a pretty solid, fair starting five. Yeah, I think so. And a, a, a pretty common if you, if somebody was like, "Hey, name five games I should get." That this would be a pretty, that would be a pretty solid or common starting five games. So from there, Josh, what are the next five games you would recommend to someone who wants to get into hobby board games? 
Well, I'll let you, we'll, we'll just go back and forth. I don't know if you have a full list of five. Well, I think so. When you look at that list, which is a great list for me, whenever people ask us about what games we would recommend, mm-hmm. I always try to take them as individual games and then go, okay, so we got code names. What's the next party style game that I would tell them to level up to? Because code names isn't going to necessarily translate to, uh, I don't know, pandemic legacy, right? Like you want to keep. So, I mean, if you want to go one by one, I mean, Codenames is probably the easiest one for me to start because um, I think the next game for people who like Codenames is to try to get them into Resistance or Avalon or Secret Hitler um, uh, or uh, Spyfall is a little light um, uh, or like Ultimate Werewolf or Werewolf, something along the lines of... um, and I know it can be a little challenging going from a semi-cooperative game to an almost exclusively singular survive on your own game, but I think you learn the skills in code names to play even games like even game a game like Dead of Winter, I don't think is a is a far jump from a code name style game. Any right. game that you're cooperatively playing with people. I think you could benefit from that. Um, but I think like probably if I had to just stick with one, I would say maybe like resistance is like the next after codenames in my mind. Let me clarify the question. Yeah. It could be any five games that are next. They don't have to be connected in any way to these oh, five. Oh, oh. so you you're just, just trying to have someone help round out their collection. Post gateway. Yes. So they've got, they've owned those five. And they're like, hey, I want to get more games. What are the uh, next five games you'd recommend? I'm sorry. Games? I thought you meant like, yeah, I thought you meant like the next one after each one. Nope. Uh, they just, they don't have to be connected in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Well, then if I'm going to pick a next five, um, why is my Google activating? Nursery Magazine. Don't stop listening to me. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it, it's actually kind of apt to conversation where we've been playing um, Lords of Waterdeep on the computer, I think. Mm-hmm. I would I would say you've played these five games, you have a handle on what board gaming can kind of throw at you. So I would I would next recommend um maybe Stone Age or Lords of Waterdeep. I think Stone Age is a little heavier, so mm-hmm. probably uh, Lords of Waterdeep would be a game that I would add to the next five. So the first game on my next five actually was Lords of Waterdeep. Nice. So look at us sinking up there. Check, check, that is awesome. The next game that I would put in my next five that I said was actually Santorini. Because I think when I'm looking mm. at the games that are there, there isn't really like an abstract strategy style game so much. Carcassonne, you could kind of argue, fits in that a little bit. Yeah. But I think just with the flexibility, the I think even just the expense and how easy Santorini is to teach, but how deep the gameplay is, to me, a next game you'd want to add to your collection, I put Santorini as the second one on my list that I would add. What do you think would be another great game to add? Well, sticking with your abstract uh, game, I would throw Onitama in there. Ooh, that's um, good Because I think that's pretty much accessible to any age. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of makes a chess game not seem like chess. Right. Um, but it's really great for like critical thinking. And, you know, it gives you that 1v1 uh, gameplay that you get from Santorini also, um, where you have to pretty much 
at least in, uh, in any time where you definitely have to think about your next move constantly, but the challenge is you don't always know what your next move can be because right. you only have a certain amount of moves you can make based on the, the two cards you have to choose from. Very cool. That's a great pick too. Thanks. Is that is that what you're saying you'd have your second game be? Sure. That'll be the second one. Okay. So the third game that I put then on the list for me, I went to a deck builder because I love deck builders. Yeah. And traditionally, this would have been Dominion for me. But I said, you know, I recently played this other deck builder that I think I like more Dominion, more than Dominion. And I think teaches the skills that are helpful in more deck builders better than Dominion. And that is Valley of the Kings Premium Edition. Oh. I think really just learning the importance of thinning your deck, which Valley of the Kings works into the mechanisms. And that is something you can apply to basically every other deck builder. I think is a great way to introduce deck building and also one of the hardest concepts to understand in deck building. Um, so I would, as my third, third of five, I put value of the Kings premium edition. Nice. I really need to play that one. I really need to play a board game. I gotta get my <laughs> wife. I gotta get my wife on it. Um, <clears throat> okay. My, my third one, um, would be villainous. Um, a game that is definitely challenging. Um, maybe, like more challenging than people might expect it to be. Mm-hmm. But once you get the basic idea down, I think the game is is pretty uh, easy overall. But the amount of variety it offers, especially when you're adding in expansions and how well-balanced the game is, I feel like anyone going into that game has a fair shot. Um, and I think that's important in these kind of games where sometimes you can feel like the person that you're playing against has more... Um, experience with the game or knowledge of, of what's going on, but I, th- I really think in the balance and villainous, besides the theme, the balance is really what makes this game so good uh, and successful. Um, and and I think that they deserve a lot of credit for that aspect. I know they get a lot of credit already, but um, villainous for sure would be in the next five for me. Very cool. That's a great game. So good. I love it. Uh, amazing support. Uh, the next game on my list, I kind of him and hot about this one, but I wanted to go a little more still kind of party style fun game. And I didn't push as far as I was going to because I was almost going to say cash and guns, but there are some people who really are anti cash and guns. Yeah. So instead, I'm going with Sheriff of Nottingham. Oh. I really think it is a great, fun bluffing deduction game. It kind of fits in that if you have a good raucous time playing code names, this is just a different style of game that you can play that you can have a really great time with friends with uh, and really, you know, test those bluffing skills and those lying skills to see how good you are at it. Uh, and it's just a game that is consistently a hit when I bring it out with people uh, really has gotten more than its fair share of plays as a result. Uh, so my fourth game was Sheriff of Nottingham. What say you, Josh? Well, my fourth game will have to be uh century spice road slash column edition nice how can i not have a list of board games not have that in there that is Uh, very true it it could also fit in with that first list that you made uh for sure but um yeah another game so good and so easily accessible uh like we talk about emerson's pretty much a genius being able to develop these games and also include a one page double-sided rule book where, right, and it's very well written as well, so you know what to do. Um, it's just one of those games, super easy to learn and teach. Always mm-hmm. plays different every time you play. For sure. Strategy, uh, 
still, you know, it just really depends on the cards you're getting. So you always have to adapt to what your opponents are doing or opponent and uh what and what cards you're getting. So uh it doesn't it doesn't hurt that it's a beautiful game as well. Uh Gollum right. more so than Spice Road, but yes. uh you know, that's just <laughs> the theme. Well, that's a great pick. I hemmed it hard for my last one because you know how you said, well, how do I have a list without a century game? For me, how do I have a list without <laughs> Dead of Winter on it? So yeah, Dead of, of Winter is my last game. But I think it does is a nice progression, especially going from Pandemic up because you're now in a semi-cooperative game. You There's the possibility of the Hidden Trader. Uh, it just really amplifies and I think takes the theme that pandemic has and when you go to dead of winter the theme is much to me at least much deeper really you can see the theme and the mechanics and mechanisms of the game very well and i think that helps will help give gamers a picture for how future games might play and it's easy to understand plus it has sparky the wonder dog so (laughs) my fifth one that i would pick as the next game uh is dead of winter nice well you had a press your luck game with sheriff of nottingham my game is a little press your luck that I would pick for my fifth game, and that would be uh, The Quacks of Quedlinburg. Mm. Um, another game that feels more and more uh, like a game that Century is for me, a game yeah. that I really think everyone should play that's into board gaming or wants to be into board gaming. Uh, it's a game, uh, once again, that is simple in its premise and difficult in its execution. Uh, and, and like you were playing, like you have the option to vary your gameplay, um, every time you play it, or you can kind of just stick to the regular way you played the first time, because I think it's still just as enjoyable because a lot of it does come down while a lot of it comes down to chance. You're not necessarily feeling like you're at the mercy of chance or luck because there is still strategy in in what um, pieces you're drafting and putting into your bag and getting rid of tokens and uh, spending your points wisely, your coins wisely. So uh, there's enough there. I think that um, it's definitely uh, an easy choice for me to pick uh, as, as the next five. Very cool. All right, are you ready for my first audible, Kyle Topic 1.5? Sure. (laughs) Are you familiar with the website Mythic Markets? Well, is it cheating if I just go to it now and then say I'm familiar with it? (laughs) That is not cheating at all. I was going to encourage you to go if you've never been. Mythic Markets. Markets. So what Mythic... Did I just see magic like right away? (laughs) So what Mythic Markets is, is what they do is I will just read right from their website. How does it work? Mythic Markets handpicks and buys rare, iconic pop culture collectibles. We split the assets into shares and make them available for investment in our marketplace, just like stocks. You buy shares and get a portion of the profits if the asset is liquidated. Okay. So, for example, right now... I'm on board so far. (laughs) Their latest offering is they have a box... Of five 1994 booster boxes of Magic the Gathering, valued, they say, at $55,000. Yeah. (laughs) So you can, if you want to, purchase stock in that item. Say you spend $30 to get into that item. So then for your $30, you own a small part of that booster box lot of five. Yeah. Then 
if at some point they decide to sell it, you would then potentially get a portion of the profits. Now, on the surface, Josh, who, who does decides, this make any sense to you? <laughs> who decides when when they want to sell it? I think they get to decide when they want to sell it. So they get you get and all you give them the all price. this money, <laughs> and they just have this money, and then they could decide to never sell it or be I like, think, "Hey, we lost it in a fire. Thanks for your money." <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I kind of think so. Now, maybe I'm not giving them a fair shake. I this is something that I just recently became aware of, but yeah. I read through their website i read through their frequently asked questions and i still don't get it like Uh, have you have people had success through mythic markets that's what i want to (laughs) know uh yeah because it has amazing fantasy number 15 the first appearance of spider-man right uh on there and i was like oh i'm interested in that (laughs) or the black lotus Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've <laughs> Mythic Markets just raised two million dollars in in seed to build a fractional ownership market for rare collectibles. So before they even opened this, they got two million dollars to get going. Right. From venture capitals. Correct. <laughs> what? <laughs> so uh, I haven't seen any any information of people actually making money from this yet, though. And and here's the thing I don't totally understand, is that I just took a gander, and there's a Black Lotus that yeah. you can buy currently for $42,000. You can at, buy the card. Okay. Yes. Yes. So you can buy the card for $42,000. They have the Black Lotus. I think they have the asset valued- 90000 At 90000 Yeah. And they have one picture of one one time going for 125. Now, here's the thing: I don't know the quality condition of that forty two thousand dollar card. I don't know the quality condition of the card that they have. But maybe I'm just odd. Maybe I don't play enough pay play the stock market enough. But it seems really odd to invest money where you own a part of a part of a collectible. That just seems odd to me, right? It is very weird. Because in this, in the premise of this whole thing is that they're they're already telling you, or they're supposing that they already have these products. Yes, they have purchased them already. Supposedly, they already own all of these, so and they are the ones who are housing benefit, and maintaining them. What is the benefit to allowing people, even even as weird weird as it is that you're buying stock in collectibles? Right. What is why 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 charge people why not just sell it on your own well i think the idea being if say we had something that was a hundred thousand dollars we purchase it for a hundred thousand dollars in theory and then we let people invest back up to a hundred thousand dollars so we've recouped all of our costs yeah and now we can go buy the next thing for a hundred thousand dollars but if the Item A that we bought for 100000 say the value of it gets to 125000 so we sell it, we pay out everyone back their money, and we make a nice little profit, and now we still have the second thing that we bought, which costs us no money. Right. You know what I'm saying? I get what you're saying, but does that happen in business where someone sits down and says, I really want other people to benefit from our business? Well, that's the nature of investing, right? Like That's what you do when you invest is you <laughs> eventually want to make money. I just It just seems like such a... Neb- I don't want to say nebulous, just an odd thing 
because you have no control over when they choose to sell or at what price. Right. So it really seems very odd to be to say, here are my $30. Maybe someday I'll get 35 Maybe someday I'll get 25 yeah. for a comic book or a magic card. <laughs> I get that it's very similar to exchange, like to like securities and exchanges. Like I, I get that part. It just seems like a very odd market for it. Well, it's definitely interesting. I'm going to keep my eye on that amazing fantasy. <laughs> okay, you do that. And if you invest, let me know. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll track your experience. Yeah. So you know. this has just become a big thing uh, in the magic world because it has been very big in magic recently. Uh, Channel Fireball did some videos with it that were sponsored by Mythic Markets. And there are definitely a lot of people who are very uh, apprehensive about what this means because it doesn't seem that they're totally forthcoming about how do you decide to sell? If so, how, what do I get additional money? So if I invest 30, but the item sells for 120% of the value, do I get the 120% of my money right. or do I just get my flat feedback? Like there is much of that is very unclear. Um, but anyway, if you're interested, a thing you could check <laughs> out. Uh, but yeah, so mythic markets, I guess is a thing. So that was my 1.5. Josh, what's your topic two? Well, let me do a two point. Uh, 1.9 and then a 2 because we talked about so I had scrapped what topic 2 was going to be because I didn't feel like there was enough content available uh, which I Uh still don't think there is Um, but um, I did say um, I believe on on Twitter that I would be talking about this so um, let's talk a little bit about Outriders the soon to be Third-person action RPG shooter. <laughs> yes. Um, it's kind of a game that um, Devin and I have been following, at least informationally. I think Devin's probably been following it more so than I have. Um, but we were like the only two in the Discord who seemed to know what it was or were interested in it at all. Um, so they had a, uh, a stream happen earlier this past week for you listeners Mm-hmm. Where they had the, some of the, I want to say PR. I don't think they were devs. Some of the PR talk talking about the game and and what we were seeing. They showed off a uh, a level or two uh, of gameplay. They showed some story. They showed um, how they're um, letting you customize the UI in the game, which is uh, pretty cool. Uh, it's by People uh, Can Fly. That's what it's called. People Can Fly. People Can Fly. Who did Boltstorm. Um, yeah, it was baby. picked up by Square Enix, and they actually Correct. encouraged them to put more work into the game because they liked what they saw. So they went from 40 people to 200 people uh, once they joined with Square. So it definitely went from a small 40 person crew <clears throat> to this giant collective of people i'm curious to know if anything changed in their development progress process or story or anything Um, but what we can say is it's definitely in the vein of destiny meets division two but it's not a game of service so uh they say everything you get on day one is a beginning and an end of a game which i think is great Yes. Uh, there are no microtransactions, so they say, so far. Yeah. Um, I have no reason to not believe that. And, yeah, it's kind of like this super-powered Division 2, I guess I would say, from what I've seen. Uh, right. The gameplay goes from kind of like chaotic monster battles to more 
Division Two esque uh, human no, <laughs> human to human Homo sapien to Homo sapien <laughs> combat. I'm not sure if they're humans, um, uh, but yeah, I, it's cover based. It's third person. Uh, the weapons look pretty cool. Uh, the combat look exciting. Uh, the maps, they didn't show too much diversity in the maps, but right. at least based on the cinematics, it looks like there'll definitely be uh, a bunch of different uh, environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I th- you also watched this, right? I did watch the video. Uh, Outrider, I really enjoy people who can fly. I think they've done some very cool work. And to me, and I think this, I think this fits, and I could be wrong. I should have fact-checked this. I believe people can fly used to be connected with Epic. Yes. did some work on Gears of War. Epic Poland. And I think maybe even did Gears of War, the last one on 360 that people didn't like. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we're even leads on that. This game to me looks like them saying, okay, we're going to take everything we know and learn about Gears of War. Yeah. And we're going to amp it up. For sure. I I definitely feel that way too. That's very much what it feels like to me based just on the creatures and the creature designs you see how the game looks, where the camera is from the third person view. Uh, it, it really just seems like that at the, the ability for uh, multiplayer, the fact that it is a combined experience from beginning to end. I think they just took gears of war and said, okay, let's amp it up. Let's add the RPG mechanics. Let's add the things that games are adding these days yeah. uh, and kind of make it our own. And for me, I think that's a great thing. Yeah. I don't think that's bad at all. I don't say that as, uh, to be dismissive, I think it looks really cool. I think it has a lot of potential. I like the fact that it's coming out uh, both on current and next gen stuff, supposedly still this year. Yes. Uh, so it's a it's a cool looking ga- game. I I hope that they can deliver on what they are showing. Uh, Square Enix, obviously, like you said, has a lot of confidence in the project. Uh, and you know, if nothing else, the past games from them that I have played have been fun. Bolt Storm, maybe not the best writing, maybe yeah. not the best storyline, <laughs> but it was a fun game to play. Uh, and this game really isn't looking like it's going to stray too far from the fun factor either. Yeah, also has um, online co-op up to three players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sticking to that more like traditional Destiny fire team um, style of combat for the multiplayer aspect. And I think the progressive difficulty level that they have is pretty cool as well. So they have world tiers, pretty similar to Anthem, I guess, or yeah. Division. I get uh, probably is a better comparison, but yeah, I do, or even Apex for ranked uh, for ranked. <clears throat> so I do like that um, it scales with how well you're performing, right? Um, but also, if you die, it will also scale down, so yep. that it is act it's it's keeping you. But you can also choose your tiers as well. So mm-hmm. if you want better loot, you can also just start at a higher difficulty. Indeed. But I do enjoy so, that. That is cool. Yeah, very cool look at it. So be on the lookout. Game looks awesome. Josh, what is your actual topic too? All right. So we're going to talk about a new board game that is hit, that is that has hit Kickstarter um, and it's bringing more video game themes to board gaming. And that game, I believe, is called Bullet Love, but it is Bullet Heart, uh, a shoot 'em up puzzle action game. So I'm going to read what we have here from Dice Tower News. Uh, .com, and then I'll, I'll go to the Kickstarter page and talk about it a little bit. Um, but they call it a shmup, a shoot 'em up puzzle action tabletop game. Uh, it's inspired by games like uh, Ikar- uh, Ikaruga for people. Um, I'm not going to list any of these other games I don't know of. Uh, um, it's by Level 99 Games. And uh, it's a one to four player real time uh, shoot 'em up puzzle action game. 
uh, where, uh, wow, it's just over and over. You have a three-minute timer to deal with all of the bullet tokens in your personal bag. Um, so you pull and place tokens from your bag, spending action points to manipulate, manipulate tokens and pattern cards to remove bullets. Um, in any order, individual characters start there with their varying abilities, health, and cards. Um, and once all players clear their bag or die, a new round starts. Um, the color, the bullet tokens come in five colors. Um, if you match the five columns on a pl- matching the five columns on a player's board, um, the number on the token determines how many spaces down to place it. But basically, what happens is if you basically it's I guess raining bullets down on you, so to speak, and if they clear the bottom of your board, you take damage. Um, the it actually the art looks looks pretty cool. Uh, you have pretty much all female characters to choose from, so it definitely plays on the, like the Japan anime art mm. style and theme. Um, it's a wonderful player game. It literally plays in 15 minutes, uh, at least according to the box. Uh, it's considered a light game. Um, I think it actually looks really cool. Uh, I like the idea of, uh, like I like quacks, like I like the bag drawing aspect of it. Um, and trying to uh, adapt to what you're pulling has four different gameplay modes: uh, free for all, which is four players; teams, two v two; they have a score attack, which is a one player; and a boss rush, which is four players versus one AI. So it's uh, pretty much just like a video game. Yeah. Um, it also has a digital music timer that you can download and play. What I think is the most appealing, so you can get you can get the base game for 39 bucks. Um, and if you want the deluxe token bundle, it's, it's 59 and that's as high as this goes cost wise. So it's definitely, I think a pretty unique theme in board gaming right now. Definitely. Uh, I don't know that there is a game out there that I'm aware of that is similar to this, um, free shipping in the United States. That's a bonus. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say you can even try it on Tabletop Simulator. It's already out there. So uh, if you're into those type of games, those shoot 'em ups those plain shoot 'em ups uh, like Galaga and stuff like that, it looks very cool. So I thought that was probably more interesting than no detail on <laughs> Outriders, but I think... They're equally interesting. <laughs> yeah, this is a really cool looking game. And I think, like you said, the price is very good. Uh, no stretch goals. What they ha- what you see is what you get. There's nothing special to unlock. Uh, you know, 17 days to go in a recording, so you'll still have a couple of weeks by the time this episode posts to take a look at this. But it looks very cool. I'm very interested in this. I am someone who enjoys shmups as far as video games go. So a board game like this is very cool. The only thing I have to say is that time restrictions in board games stress me out. <laughs> uh, Galaxy Trucker is one of those games that I just can't handle. <laughs> I get very stressed out while playing it. So that's the thing I'm a bit worried about. Uh, but very cool overall. Yeah. Neat, neat game. Also, I just I did want to mention uh, Come On is coming out with a He-Man and the Masters of the Universe game onto Kickstarter. So I can, I can only imagine how many characters they're going to introduce post base game pledge. <laughs> Do we know when that's happening? Uh, I think it said summer, but I, I, you know, 
Uh, I'm just worried. <laughs> it's an IP I love, but this is definitely a game I'm not going to be able to afford if Kaman is putting this out. <laughs> yeah. Did you see that they did their graphic novels that just finished up? Uh, I saw that they did something. I didn't even bother looking at it. Yeah. So they did uh, graphic novels where you can choose one for uh, Zombicide, Cthulhu Wars, and Zombicide Invader, maybe. Uh, yeah. It just finished up, so it's it's done. But kind of cool. I like that when board game developers take the time to kind of build out the backstories of the universes they created. I think yeah. that's a cool thing to do. Uh, it was, you know, like I said, I didn't back anything because I'm not. I don't really have any come on games, uh, but pretty cool. I think it's a neat little thing that they did with that. So let's see, He Man. Do we have a date? Uh oh, forget it. It's launching in 2021. So oh, okay. I regret bringing it up. <laughs> Never mind. So in a year, we'll talk about that game then. Yeah, for sure. All right. So my second topic, Josh, Summer Game Fest is paddling along, but I want to know, what do we think so far? We There's been a lot of talk, and there had been a lot of talk over the last year or so about the death of E3 and whether E3 still really needed to happen. Obviously, with Corona slash COVID, that caused a huge change in the video game industry and most industries as far as trade shows go. So... We lost E3, we lost those big shows, so then Summer Game Fest became this thing where all these different groups coming together, uh, kind of advertising, marketing games in a lot of different mini-shows, but not all of them are in Summer Game Fest. IGN's doing their own thing, GameSpot's doing their own thing. Quick side note, IGN came out with their schedule for their stuff. I don't understand their schedule. I read it and I said, I have no idea what this means. Um, I don't know if you looked at the graphics <laughs> schedules that they had, but I, I'm clearly not a smart person because I didn't understand when anything was happening. But what do you think so far? Summer Game Fest. Are you a fan? Are you not a fan? Are you clamoring for the return of E3? What are your thoughts after we get through just May? And we had like six events in May. Well, I think you're being generous with the events. Uh, <laughs> okay. Six <laughs> broadcasts of things. Uh, I think it's been more of a doggy paddle uh, into okay. into June than anything okay. else. Uh, yeah, obviously. So here's my my question is... So PlayStation announces an event and then Summer Games Fest announces the announcement. So is Summer Games Fest putting on Sony's event or are they just claiming it and then streaming PlayStation stream? Because I think this is where things are getting a little (laughs) wishy-washy. I think what is happening is basically PlayStation, Xbox, some of these other big people have said, okay, we're going to do our thing. And if you want to put your stuff, our stuff on your stuff, that's fine. Yeah. But we're doing our stuff. I think is kind of what's happening. Okay. So, so far with Summer Games Fest, we've got Tony Hawk Pro Skater Remastered uh, revealed. We had the Unreal Engine 5 revealed. Yep. And then we had three, oh, two League of Legends games revealed. And that's it. That's all we've gotten from Summer Games Fest so far. Original content. They've shown right. Ghost of Tsushima. Sh- 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 I'll say that right sometime. Uh, they've shown that, but... Oh, and they yeah, did a they, Q&A with Ed Boon. Yeah, I was, they also did the Xbox third-party showcase. They did a before and after thing and sure. streamed it during. And the and for The Last of Us Part Two, they did the... I'm not trying to be hard on the Game Awards. I mean, Summer Games Fest, <laughs> which is the same thing. Yeah. Um, I just think that May was a tough month for them to start content-wise, where a lot of that E3 stuff is June... Right. Uh, July. So uh, they're definitely poised to have a better June. 
um, because they get to start <laughs> with the PlayStation 5. Uh, and then the Guerrilla Collective. Um, I'm curious how the PC gaming show is going to take off for them. Right. Um, but yeah, they definitely have a lot more stuff coming up in June. A lot more stuff. Right. So I think that's good for them. But like, I'm still looking at all the stuff and I'm just... It's fine that it's going through Summer Games Fest, but I'm just not clear on what's being produced by them and what they're just a sh- like what they're just signal boosting, which is also fine because that's what E3 is. It's a signal boost. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I guess we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I so far, I'm not disappointed. Yeah, I think most of what they're doing is just single, signal boosting. Yeah. I don't know that there's much of anything other than maybe uh, the Gamescom opening night live uh, might be a little more of a production from them. And maybe in June they will have more original stuff, but everything they have listed in June right now. Because like you said, coming up in June, there's the PS5 Future of Gaming Games thing coming up on June 4th. Gorilla Collective, PC Gaming Show, uh, future game showcase, the upload VR showcase, Steam Game Festival, World of Warcraft, Shadowlands, Cyberpunk, EA Play, uh, developer showcase June. Uh, so that is you know a with Day of the Devs. So that's going to be a bigger thing. Yeah. I'm assuming. Um, new game plus Expo, the Marvel Avengers War Table, and Bit Summit Gaiden. So, and there's still going to be an Xbox thing added in here somewhere. We know um, because they said they were doing a, a something in June. So we'll see when that exactly that is. My the assuming being the reveal of Lockhart and release date and price and stuff of everything. But yeah, yeah. So overall, from what you've experienced thus far, are are <laughs> you happy with what we've had? Would you rather we just have an E three? Do you want to wait till the end to decide? Kind of what are where are we at currently? I think ultimately, I still want an E three. Uh-huh. Um. I don't know that we'll ever have public gatherings ever again uh, (laughs) without people killing each other. Uh, But it's it's fine. Like I said, it just was kind of a slow May, but I I do like... Okay, it's a double-edged sword. I do and do not like having a date to look forward to. Right. Because it sets this expectation. Right. At least with E3, there's so much content coming out in four or five days. Right. That if you're let down by something, there is something else that was not going to let you down. For sure. With Summer Games Fest, and they just tease something. Next reveal. They don't tell you what it is. So then you're just like, oh, oh, what's going to, you know, and then it's like right. Valorant. You're like, oh, cool. I mean, that's good <laughs> for 15 people. Um, great. But, you know, so I think that it definitely has its ups and downs. I'm happy that we have it for sure. Right. Because it's better than nothing. Do I think it's the death of E3? No, I don't think so. Right. I mean, the death of E3 was something else. This yeah. just might be what's risen from the ashes of E3. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, for sure. It's interesting. I don't know how... It is fun to have a lot of things to look forward to. Yeah. But I think it's it is hard because what we've had thus far hasn't been super exciting yet. Now maybe this month we're gonna get some really exciting things. I think there are definitely items on the calendar that are exciting almost no matter what type of game you're into or games you're looking forward to. So we'll see how it goes. 
I am someone who long said I was surprised E3 still existed. Uh, I don't want to say <laughs> I'm walking back my thoughts on that, but I will say it is much more challenging to keep track of everything. And as a result of that, what I think that is doing is actually narrowing my focus onto the things I just know I really care about rather than trying to take everything in, if that makes sense. Whereas at E3, I watched the Xbox showcase. I watched the Nintendo stuff. I watched every single company's thing because in five days, I knew exactly what time everything was at. Now there's just so much stuff. I feel I have to pick and choose a little more. So I feel I'm actually going to see less than I would have for the typical week of E3. Yeah, for sure. So. I'm all right. Are, are you ready for my topic 2.5? I'm excited. This okay. is like a whole new show. <laughs> it is like a whole new show. This was going to be one of my topics, but I figured I'd just bring it on you. Josh, two days from when this podcast releases, Thursday of this week, yeah. PlayStation <laughs> says yeah. they're revealing the future of gaming. Well, right? did they say that, though? Because... <laughs> People are really reading into a vision of a black controller. <laughs> yeah, people are looking. The the people are like, they're going to see games or going to see the console. I'm like, they didn't say anything about any of that. They didn't say anything about the console. <laughs> they, they, I will say we are not going to see the console. Yeah, people need to settle down, I think. Yes. <laughs> and in the announcement on the PlayStation blog, it says, quote, that's why I'm excited to share with you. We'll soon give you a first look at the games you'll be playing yeah. after PlayStation 5 launches this holiday. So it is about games. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a little bit over an hour. Wow. Is what it says. It says the digital showcase will run for a bit more than an hour. Uh, and for the first. So anyway. Yeah. Okay. Josh, I want three predictions <laughs> for what oh, you boy. think we will see at PlayStation's future of gaming okay. and then when we meet to discuss it in a week we will look back at our predictions and see how we did okay you ready for my big swing i'm ready for your swing a lot of jrpgs lotta how what's lotta mean four <laughs> four at least four jrpg or adjacent to that genre of games <laughs> okay yeah a lot of jrpgs four four yeah. plus okay why do you say that it's just something that you know. That's what the that there's a large. That's where the audience for JRPGs is, right? That's where the PlayStation is. I don't want to make any like stupid general statements, but it's like the console for JRPGs, and they have the audience for it. So they typically lean into that. I think I'm pretty sure every PlayStation E3 event has two to three JRPGs showcased, whether it's five minutes or fifty seconds. I think they're always in there. So I think that's kind of like an easy no-brainer. Um, okay. I don't think that it's like, I don't know if this is designed to show off the graphics of the PlayStation 5 or just to show what we'll be able to play when we have it. So right. I think JRPGs are a safe bet um, yeah. in that area. If you believe insiders, which who knows, Yeah, but there is... A lot of rumbling that they're very that PlayStation is very aware of the feedback from the Xbox third party conference, yeah, and the lack of gameplay that was shown, sure, and that this is supposedly as a result going to be extremely gameplay heavy. This presentation, I mean, that's great, but the problem I just don't know. Like, do they have the gameplay? 
I know, and that's the thing I don't no. know either. And like I said, <laughs> who knows? Those people could be completely wrong. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of JRPGs is your first prediction. Which is not a negative thing. I just know that that's just what they lean into. Right. I hear you. My first prediction. You want my big, big swing? Yeah. Okay, so this is the thing I think is the most unlikely, but what I feel in my heart to be true. Yeah. I'm probably wrong. So there's been a lot of talk about Bluepoint uh-huh. and whether uh, whether or not they've been acquired by PlayStation, what their next game is, which is clearly coming to PlayStation 5. Bluepoint has done a ton of teases about what they're working on. They've done a lot of cryptic tweets that point to tons of different games, you know, rumors out there about redoing the Metal Gear series, Demon Souls, a whole bunch of stuff. Here's what I'm saying. I am saying that PlayStation has acquired Bluepoint not for a specific game, but for specific games. And that Bluepoint is the studio making it so the PS3 games can be played on PS5. Oh, interesting. That is my swing. <laughs> interesting. We'll talk about that later. I'm probably wrong, but I don't know that anybody else has said that. And I I don't know what it was the other day. I just had it. I felt it in my heart. I said, I wonder if this is what they're doing. So that's where I'm going with PS3. To, and maybe it's not exactly that. Maybe it's something with backwards compatibility, remastering, upresing, something. But I feel like they've acquired that studio specifically for that purpose to help bring games from the past for the PS5. Gotcha. So if they come out and they just say, hey, we're making Demon Souls, that doesn't count. Like, I totally got that wrong. Then. <laughs> <laughs> what is your second guess? Okay. The next Call of Duty will be revealed. I think that's a safe bet. So you're thinking they still have the marketing deal together? Man, it yeah. I mean, okay. it's a bummer. But yeah, and I'm sure it'll be like, play this on PlayStation 5 first. And we're going to have another year of exclusivity with PlayStation 5 for like four maps that nobody really wants. But they need them because they're PlayStation exclusive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we didn't get that with the current one. I need Nuketown. It's such a great map. I need oh it. Oh, my gosh. You know what? <laughs> yeah. Give the Xbox players rust. That map is trash. <laughs> um, so, okay. Next COD. That's a, pro- a good one. I just didn't know. It kind of seemed that when we went from PS3 to PS4 slash 360 to 1 is when the marketing deal switched. Yeah. So, I didn't know if maybe time had now come and that it was going to go back. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. But that's a, that's a good one. My prediction is we are going to see ratchet and clank as a ps5 launch title oh that insomniac over in north carolina question mark where i think their other studio is has been toiling away and ratchet and clank is true which has been long rumored a new entry in the series and it will be a ps5 launch title and we will see a whole bunch of good stuff from it that is what i say what is your final guess prediction my final prediction is we're going to see Kingdom Hearts 3.125 and 3 eighths Rechained Hearts Alive Remix Volume 8 announced for PlayStation 5. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying Kingdom Hearts something. Did you write it something. all down? No, oh. I did not. I just said Kingdom Hearts something. <laughs> well, don't worry. Right. This audio recording will live forever. I can just look it up. <laughs> okay. My last one is that Japan Studio mm-hmm. has been working on the ru- much rumored... Silent Hill game reboot. You think so? I think so. However, in addition, they have also been working on a new IP that is an open world 
I'm going to go out on the limb and say space-based game. Okay, that's... And you, and you have no information to where, where that guess is coming from? Well... Is it a guess? Do you know more? Do you have insiders, Kyle? <laughs> I don't have insider stuff. Silent <laughs> Hills. I'm writing this down. Sorry. <laughs> you um, write down your own thoughts. <laughs> so, for... I am. So, because I'll forget, because I had like 12 predictions I wanted to make, but I'm like, well, this isn't a PlayStation podcast. Um... It Studio Japan, <laughs> the the Silent Hill thing, pretty solid. I think most signs are pointing are pointing towards something is actually happening there. Maybe it's not, but they have for a very long time. It has been rumored that they have been working on actually, which is funny that you said a JRPG, that they have been working on a JRPG again. Yeah, and there have been bits and pieces just in reading stuff over the last few years that some have said it's been fantasy based, some have said it's been sci fi based. Not that PlayStation has a huge fantasy situation, but they basically have no sci-fi games. So I think just as a result of that, I'm choosing to believe that one. They had Sony Santa Monica had the sci-fi game they were working on that was canceled. I'm thinking maybe that was partially canceled because maybe Studio Japan had some ideas they wanted to work on. Uh, and I, yeah, they just do a lot of the little quirkier stuff out of there. Um, so that's what I'm guessing we are going to see. It, like I said, that's a complete... Yeah, I'm probably wrong, but I thought yeah. it'd be fun. So <laughs> cool. And next week you'll get to find out what we're like what we were right about and what we were not right about. All right, Josh. What is your topic three? <laughs> so well you talked about Blue Point a little bit. Let's talk about something that kind of blew up in our Discord um the other day. Uh it started with one conversation and it continued with a different conversation. But I yes, think they're both valid uh yeah. debates and if if they're talking about this on the uh, PlayStation podcast, I'm sorry, but we can share our listeners, For sure. right? So this specifically came up with Sony. I think the reason why is because we know a little bit more about Xbox's plans around this, but yep. uh, the conversation came up about uh, backward compatibility and forward compatibility in next generation right. games. Um, so I just wanted to talk about, is it important to us? Um, are, well, are they, if so, which ones, uh, and, and how important to us are they? So I believe the conversation came up because, um, I'm not calling Devin up, but Devin was saying like, he doesn't really want forward progress progression games. Like he's not a big fan of, let's use Outriders as an example. Um, Outriders coming out on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Right. So... Uh, and this has happened before in the past with Destiny on 360, yep. PlayStation 3, and Xbox One, PlayStation 4. So for me, forward compatibility, I think, is a little different now than it was mm -hmm. then because I don't know that the generation gap is so big uh, that it's noticeable. While I also agree with the argument around wanting to get a console where the games that are coming out on that console were made for that console. Right. I get that debate. Why spend five, four or five, 600 bucks on a console and get games that you can just play in your current console. Right. So I do understand that aspect, but what, what are your thoughts on at least a forward compatibility um, with next gen consoles? I think it is nice if the games I buy at the end of the console cycle are going to work on the next console. 
because traditionally launch lineups have not always been stellar. Yeah. So if if I can get a game and I know that, you know, when I buy whatever it might be, Marvel's Avengers in September, that I know that I'll be able to play it on PS5, on my PS5 in whatever that thing releases. Like knowing that that will work is, I think, a nice feature to have. Yeah. But like most things, when it comes to new consoles, it's not a deal breaker for me. It's just a nice, it would be nice situation for me. Right. Because I very much am someone who I move on to the next latest, newest, best thing. That's what I do. Yeah. That's why I barely finish games as often as I would like to, because <laughs> as soon as a new game releases, I want to start playing that game. So, yeah, I think it's something, you know, for forward compatibility, I think it's nice. Backwards compatibility, I don't know that I, like, obviously, I have a th- the an Xbox One X. I have my PS4. On my Xbox, I very, very rarely go back and use the backward compatibility feature. I think the one time we went and played Dead Space yeah, might be about the only time I've used it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think there is a benefit there. I understand the allure to it that once you have purchased a game, it is yours and you, you never need to purchase it again it's just going to work as you as you move your way through the the systems and through all that i I get that part of me though as a realist recognizes the fact that i have well over 400 games on my ps4 yeah i'm not going to play all of those games most of those games 98 percent of those games probably uh ever again you know right but you there's two percent i might well do Te- I? Well, you know what I mean. So you know, there, there have been court cases about this. Yeah, that I, know, I have. <laughs> uh, you have the license, the, the license. ability to experience those games. Yeah, you know, whether or not I agree with that reasoning or right. the way that is. So, so that's kind of the thing for me. It, it, I like I said, I understand and appreciate the desire for backward compatibility. Because the flip side of that argument is that well, I just don't sell my PS4 then, right? If I own those games, well, then I just keep my PS4 and I can play them whenever I want to. Right. So I think the backwards compatibility, the convenience of it is very nice. It's not like when PS5 launches or Xbox Series X launches, suddenly the games on my PS4 or Xbox One don't work anymore. Right. You know? No, I don't don't disagree with that. I think, for me at least, I feel like, I can't speak to what percentage of the population or people are like this, but... A lot of people need to sell their current consoles yeah. to get the new consoles. So I think Absolutely. it's kind of crazy that we live in a world where this backwards compatibility is very possible and that someone would expect you to lose all of your games just so you can experience the newest console, especially if you're buying digital or physical. Honestly, I don't think that that matters uh, different right. difference-wise. Um, like why... like. I know cost obviously goes into these consoles. I I don't know the cost to make something backwards compatible, so I don't want to speak on something I'm ignorant to. But to me, like I know my Xbox, when I upgrade the Xbox, I will still have my digital catalog. Mm -hmm. And that is very comforting to me. Whether I'm going to play those games or not is one thing. But if, but what, like, if someone's like, hey, we have a, we're all going to jump back into Forza Horizon 4 and do the Battle Royale thing. I can just download that on my Xbox Series X because yep. I own that game. 
Um, so I like, I don't like feeling like I don't have the things that I have, if that makes sense to, to say. Like, hey, I have my Xbox One X. Yep. And to get my Series X, I had to sell my Xbox One X. Mm-hmm. But the Series X isn't backwards compatible, so I lost a library of 500 games that I've easily put thousands of dollars into just so I could move on to this next console, mm-hmm. and at least in the Xbox's case, that I won't even be able to take advantage of for six months. <laughs> because, right. you know, it, well, for first-party games. For first-party games, yeah. So I really feel like, so. Like for me, the whole conversation came up around backwards compatibility, and... I guess for me, I just can't wrap my head around people like I can't I can't physically keep six consoles hooked up to my TV yeah. and pay that electric bill because <laughs> sure. uh, I, I just can't do that. Right. And I'm also I'm not trying to put my PlayStation 4 in a tote and then pull it out every time I want to play the current Call of Duty or Apex Legends or whatever. Right. Or whatever it won't be accessible to me on PlayStation 5, I, I should say. That's uh, more realistic, like Horizon Zero Dawn 1. Right. Um, now, like you said, like am I going to play all those games? Probably not 98% of them, no. But right. you never know when that situation will come up where we want to play Dead Space 3 or or something because something is in the news or something's coming up or a sequel was right. announced. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Okay, so here here's a question for you. What if, if given the choice between, okay, you can either, a console can be created that is going to be more powerful and backward compatible, but not really be able to do anything new or unique to maintain that backward compatibility. Yeah. Or we can develop this other console that might be able to do things new and unique, but because of that, old games aren't going to be compatible anymore because what it is doing is so new and unique. The future of games might be more diverse and better. Yeah. But you won't be able to play your old games as a result of what we're trying to do with this piece of technology. Is that a fair trade-off? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could argue it's a fair trade-off for sure. Uh, I think that, I mean, I just don't know that when we're in a console situation like we are now, not like keeping that situation in mind, like if I can choose one that has the backwards compatibility and the promise that games will still look as good as the other console. Why would I not choose the backward compatibility one? But in, but in is your, it only about looks? No, I mean, no, it's not about looks. I, and I don't, and I think that's just kind of like the general statement. Like these, both consoles are very similar as far as processing goes. As far as we know from what information has been put out there, uh, could Sony come out when they do their hardware release and, blow Xbox out of the water? Sure, I guess. They might have to charge $200 more for their console, but they could probably say, hey, there's a one terabyte SSD in here and you right. can install one Call of Duty game on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> At this uh, rate, yeah. I think Call of Duty is like 195 <laughs> gigabytes right now. It's ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's definitely possible. Um, uh, I think in your situation with the console, like creating the console, yeah, I think you'd have to choose the one where you're getting promised better, newer, better technology because that's what people ultimately want. Right. Um, I just think in a world where we're constantly losing possession of things, right. that backward compatibility helps maintain some security 
for sure. At least for me. Yeah. Um, in my in my video game life, like board games, I'll be surrounded by them for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, but I just think it's interesting to see different people's opinions on backward and, uh, compatibility and forward compatibility. For sure. And how, and how varying they are. I really thought yeah. people would be lined up in the same page, um, but I'm, I'm constantly surprised uh, that how, how different people think on these things. Yeah, and I think backwards compatibility, like I said, overall, I think it's great. I think if there's a way for you to have backwards compatibility, I'm not against that. Yeah. Uh, I just think about, you know, the conversation around the PS5 and the solid state drive that it literally loads things so fast that it breaks games with loading screens. Yeah. That it breaks games that have, <laughs> you know, the, oh, we're going to crawl through this thing so the next area can load because it loads the area before they that They didn't has to do that on the Unreal 5 demo, Kyle. What? <laughs> the load screen high glitch. That wasn't a load screen, though. I know. Well, I'm okay. just pointing out what but you I'm just saying, said. <laughs> yeah. But I'm saying for you know PS4 games, the you know very common thing in Uncharted when you're crawling through something so it can load the next area, yeah. that it loads it so fast, the game kind of gets caught in this, oh, shoot, what do I do? Because I, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it's... The loading process finishes before the per- the loading animation is done. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know. That, again, is all speculation from what people have hypothesized about the issues that they might be having with backwards compatibility and why this could be an issue. But I do wonder, as a, as a gamer, what would I prefer to have? And right now it's a hypothetical because I don't know what my choice limitings are. Would I rather go to something that is going to give me experiences that can only be experienced on that console because of what it has versus the other console which yeah maybe it'll still look really really pretty and do a lot of cool things but there's just certain games it could never do and i think the big thing about it too is that i think it was tim sweeney or one of the people from epic was asked about okay hey unreal 5 you know your demo that you ran you that would run on xbox series x as well and they basically said, oh, yeah, Unreal 5 is meant to run on all these different things and things look gr- are going to look great on like all of the platforms. Yeah. But they never said the demo could actually run on Xbox One X or Series X, excuse me. Yeah. So, yeah, they never said it could. They never said it couldn't either. But oh. the person asked the question and they said, yeah, Unreal will work on everything. But they never confirmed whether the demo would work on everything. <laughs> right. So it does make me genuinely wonder, though, if there are going to be things in the ps5 that will make it backwards compatibility that much harder but if it's at the sake of pushing games forward that's where i then kind of get into the hemming and hawing if it was purely just we don't want to do it because it's we we want to make you buy games again and there's no other reason obviously that's bad but i definitely get caught if there is a reason a good reason for maybe why it doesn't work if that makes sense yeah that makes sense i get you and like I said, who knows? Maybe it's all going to work fine, and it won't matter. <laughs> oh, goodness. Anything else you want to say about backwards or forwards compatibility? No, I'm interesting to, I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm interested to see where it goes as well. I'm interested to see smart delivery and how that happens going forward. I'm interested in all, kind of all of that stuff and, and what that means for games going forward. Speaking of games going forward, Josh, did you know Amazon... The biggest company in the world <laughs> launched a game recently that had been in development for five years. You know, I didn't. Um, I'm actually watching some gameplay of it right now, and it looks awesome. <laughs> uh, Josh, it's okay that you didn't, because apparently nobody did. So 
Amazon launched their first major game called Crucible on May 20th. Uh, this story is coming from Business in- Insider. Um, and basically, <laughs> the story by Ben Gilbert says, quote, Did you know that Amazon, the biggest company in the world, launched a big-budget new game last week? The game is called Crucible, and if you're free- and you're forgiven if this is the first you're hearing about it. Despite being free-to-play and available on the world's largest gaming platform, Steam, Crucible has already come and gone from the top 100 chart. <laughs> That's crazy. As of May 21st, the day it launched, Crucible had about 25,000 concurrent players at peak. By May 22nd, two days after launch, it had already disappeared from Steam's top 100, a list of most played games on Steam that bottomed out around 5,000 concurrent players. Which is to say, as of May 22nd, (laughs) two days after launch, fewer than 5,000 people were playing Crucible at any given time. So Josh, what do you think? Crucible. DOA is this a game that's going to come back? Did you even know this game existed in prior to release? Had you heard of it ever? No, they did a terrible marketing job, huh? <laughs> I had no idea this game existed. It looks really cool. Uh, I'm bummed to find out the player base is so low because it's definitely a multiplayer game. Uh, it looks yeah. like Battleborn, uh, yeah, but prettier and. That's a bummer. I'm going to download this. Uh, it actually looks really good. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I was watching a streamer play it. I was watching Seagull play it, and he was doing it as a sponsored stream. And he was playing some some character who I have no idea, but they planted plants that could attack people and shot like a little water cannon, but the water cannon only went a few feet in front of him. That's all the further <laughs> it could go. He was like a little robot guy. It looked kind of cool. I don't know. But yeah, I'm just really surprised that we had talked so much and there's been so much hubbub about Amazon getting into the game market and, and starting to release games. And here they go. You know, one I, I don't think this is their first game, but a big swing at a game that's been in development forever. And I, have, I haven't heard anyone talk about this game. Yeah, it's so, very interesting. Yeah, it it is pretty pretty disappearing, uh, pretty disappointing, I should say. Uh, continuing the story, it said that um, Crucible had a... Fewer than 1,000 viewers across the last few days of tracking. <laughs> Not per day, but total viewership. IGN gave it a 4 <laughs> out, of, out of 10. Yeah. So maybe I won't download it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. So there you go. Apparently, Crucible, not quite setting the world on fire. Maybe it, though, can have a rebirth like that great game Anthem is eventually going to have, <laughs> right? I mean, at this point... I feel like Bioware might go under before Anthem comes out. Yeah, we'll <laughs> They're see. They're going to spend well, all their money on making another Anthem. Because <laughs> Dragon Age is next for them, right? I think they have said that. I hope so, man. I don't know that they've. I don't know that I've heard that officially, but I know I've they, heard people say it. Didn't they do a teaser trailer at the Game Awards last year or the year before Dragon uh, Age? Yeah, maybe it might be two years ago that they did. Yeah. So yeah, eventually I think we'll get a new one of those. Um. So, uh, quick side note before we wrap things up. Did you watch the Tilo 2 State of Play? I did. Did it convince you to play the game? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, you I don't know. I mean, own it. So. I, I've definitely... So I watched... I've seen the whole first game as a playthrough. I just haven't played it. But, right. So I know the story. Um, I'm definitely intrigued. I think that... I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I definitely could pick up on the story beats and probably Ellie's motivation. I think that was kind of maybe spoiled a little bit. 
who's here alluding to maybe certain, I'm not spoiling anything, but certain character deaths and things like that, that I think I was able to kind of predict. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see when the game comes out. For sure. Um, I, you know, uh, I think it's interesting. It sounds like the game's going to be a lot of work uh, just to play uh, with the crafting and the yeah uh, stealth aspects. Um, but it looks pretty. It looks good. Uh, so I'm interested to see more. I will say in watching that state of play, uh, the death rattles and gurgles of people. Oof-da. Yeah. My <laughs> goodness. Uh, as a horror fan, I was I'm like, man, I feel like Donnie and Josh are going to be loving. Yeah. All of these sounds of people dying. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we have no uh, listener questions this week, mostly because we didn't ask. Um, that was my bad. I had a really busy weekend. Sign so, your fault. People should send us questions without being asked. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you want to, that'd be great. But we're happy to ask for them, too. Uh, so with that, we'll move on to our well-rounded life recommendations. Obviously, we're a gaming podcast, but we do want to leave you with one recommendation, suggestion, or thing we are currently into uh, is helping us live that well-rounded life. Josh, what is your recommendation for our listeners? Don't have children. <laughs> well, hopefully they have all followed that advice already, because otherwise, if they're parents, they might feel uh, bad about themselves. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm there with you if you're feeling bad, people. <laughs> uh, Space Force. It hit Netflix on Friday. And it's good? Question mark? It's pretty good. Um, it's not as sitcom-y as okay. I imagined. If you saw Newsroom on HBO, it's more like a Newsroom-style show. Oh, interesting. With parody comedy in it. Okay. okay. So it actually plays itself relatively seriously um, with comedy. So you, you're you in Steve Carell's shoes, and he... Like he he is this guy. He has to do this job. Okay. He's reluctant, a reluctant leader, and he's faced with comedic odds and serious odds. And there's a little bit of like Orange is the New Black storytelling in it. It's very interesting. Okay. Um. I, I, I'm. I'm. I hope I'm not mischaracterizing the show so people get the wrong opinion now and then watch it and don't like it that's definitely a comedy it's just not handled the way you may have perceived that it would be handled is it kind of like american vandal where the show plays it completely straight and is extremely serious about what it's doing but everything is still really funny no i mean uh it's odd people people really think that his character is a joke. Okay, okay. And the things he does are s- sometimes stupid. I uh, I think for the normal human being, you kind of latch onto John Malkovich's character. Uh-huh. But even he's nuts in his own right. So you're not really, if you're trying to like put yourself in the situation, I don't know that is an easy way to grab hold of. You hear the fireworks going off in the background. I can, it's yes. All night. Um, I think give it a shot. You'll know from the first episode if you are interested in, in watching it. Uh, but I really like the tone. It's not like The Office, which obviously people are going to think it's like. Um, it's not like The Office. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very tongue in cheek, but the way it's filmed and the way it's set up, uh, uh, I'm really enjoying it. And I say, check it out. Excellent. That is Space Force on Netflix. I am watching something on Netflix right now, but I don't know if I've watched enough of it to recommend yet. So be on the lookout for that in the future. 
What's it called? Well, I'm watching two things. I'm watching The Blacklist. Okay. Have you watched Blacklist before? No, but uh, it's it's that's with um, James Spader, right? It is with James Spader. Okay. His character in that show is great. Uh, and then, you know, there's another docuseries or two that I'm into. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, But the thing I am going to recommend this week is an attempt to not always be shows. Uh, I'm going to recommend that you find yourself and do some sort of home or living situation improvement project. The reason I say this is I currently am doing a home improvement project at my house. That's why my weekend was so busy and why I am dog tired and I took Friday off of work and I'm picking tomorrow off of work, which is Monday. Uh, and Friday I worked like 13 hours, which I was like, this is the worst vacation day ever. <laughs> but the thing about home improvement projects, and they don't have to be big. And that's the big thing I want to stress is that you don't have to do a lot. You don't necessarily have to spend a ton of money. But taking the place that you reside and doing something to help you feel better in your space, I think is really helpful for just everything that's going on, for how much time we're spending at home these days. All of those things, just doing a little something for yourself to help you feel better about the place you live. And that's all I'm going to say. Like I said, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. It can be something small, but I think that those things really lead to a long way for health, happiness, and all of that good stuff. So find a small home improvement project and tackle that thing, and hopefully you'll feel great about it. Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up? Let's do it. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with VG, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with VG. So check out that brand new logo we have. Heck yeah. Hey. Oh, yeah, we got to mention that. It's so <laughs> fancy. Look at it. So it looks so good. We're so professional and stuff now. Yeah. Yep. Donnie paid someone to make us a logo. So that person <laughs> is professional. We just receive. <laughs> That's right. Also, if you want to communicate in a more long form uh, or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithvg at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with hashtag boardwithvg, so please feel free to use that hashtag as well and let us know what's going on in your life. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. I checked our ratings. We're doing better. Nice. That is, whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. You can find me on Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, Steam, at Why So Serious, S-I-R-R-I-U-S. It might be JoshBone715 on Steam, to be honest. And I'm out there on the Switch. Come find me, bro. Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me on all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.